Hey guys, welcome to the Creation Today Show. I'm your host, Eric Hoven. Today we want to have a conversation called the Old Earth Creation on Trial. Let's get down to the bottom of what's really going on here. Hey, I got a question for you. Um, which Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in the Jesus that created the world billions of years ago um, and then just kind of took his hands off of the world and and let it evolve into uh, into all the different life forms and all the different stars and all the different planets and and allowed billions of years of death and struggle and suffering and disease to eventually bring about what he really wanted, which was humanity so he could have a relationship with mankind whom he so dearly loved well if that's you then you believe in the theistic evolution jesus or maybe that's not the jesus you believe in maybe you believe in a jesus that created the world over billions of years and then kind of continued the creation process every once in a while speaking new life into it but still allowing billions of years of of death and struggle and suffering and thorns and thistles and disease to be part of this, what you're going to call very good, perfect creation. Well, if that's you, then you are, you have a Jesus that is the progressive creation Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you believe in a Jesus that created the world billions of years ago. And he did that for his angels only to have Satan and some of the angels rebel and force God to destroy that original creation that he had made. And then he created out of that a new world for, for the animals and for the plants and, and for humanity. And he called that world that he created, the new world, very good. But but for some reason, he decided to leave Satan and all the bad angels, the demons, hanging around in his perfect, very good creation. Well, if you believe that, then you believe in the gap theory, Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you believe in the Jesus that created the world supernaturally, and he did it in six real days, and he rested on the seventh day as a model for humanity. Could have done it however he wanted, but he chose that model, the seven-day week, just as he describes in the Bible. And then after Adam sinned, uh, he set in motion a plan to, to redeem humanity from the curse of sin and of death by becoming a man himself. And he died the death of the cross was buried and rose three, three days later, defeating the grave and paying the penalty for sin so that that payment could be put on our behalf, on anyone who accepts it. That's the, that's the Jesus that's described in the Bible. Now, if I have already gotten you kind of frustrated or if the hair is rising up on the back of your neck already going, don't put it like that. Listen, I get it. I get it. I get it. I've got a lot of old earth friends. I'll talk about that in just a second. But I just want you to know, I really think the credibility of Jesus Christ, the creator and the redeemer of mankind is at stake 
based on this issue. The credibility of Christ is at stake. I want to thank you guys for uh, for joining me today. If you're on Facebook or YouTube or you're listening in on our podcast or you're watching on the Creation Today television show around the world, thank you guys for kind of peering into our community. We're just a community of individuals that that love God and want to know more about Him and, and just have a desire to see uh, people's stumbling blocks turned into stepping stones on their journey to know Christ even more. Um, it's, it's really kind of amazing to me that as people get answers about science and scripture, they find that their, their faith, their trust in God is not blind. It's not a leap in the dark. It's a sure faith. So if you're uh, not already partnered with us, uh, and part of our kind of our community of, of the Creation Today community, I'd love for you to partner with us. You can go to creationtoday.org slash partner and kind of just become part of what we do and help us reaching out and reaching around the world. We produce a show every single week on Wednesdays and we're live at noon so that you can, you can join in live or you can watch it afterwards. We send you the replay. Next week, I'm excited that Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel uh, Chino Hills is going to be joining me because I just want to ask him after pastoring and going through the pandemic and everything we've gone through, what does it look like, you know, to be in this world, but not of this world, to, to live as a Christian in an increasingly unchristian world. So we're going to have that conversation next Wednesday at noon. Would love for you to join me. But today I need to talk about old earth creation and put it on trial. And when you, when you actually graph out, there's there's a lot of different views that have come about in order to try to add time to Scripture. They, they, they found many different ways of doing it, and there's different ways of interpreting now. Um, I, I, I wouldn't agree with all the ways, but there's people that interpret the Bible in different ways to try to say, oh, this actually means this, and this actually means this. And what they really meant to say was, and so they've come up with lots of different ways to interpret Scripture to try to to try to show that maybe it's possible to add time to the Bible. And I just want to argue with you today. I just want to, I want to present the case that the Jesus that you believe in really does make a difference. It really does matter, okay? Uh, because, like I said, the credibility of Jesus Christ is at stake. I, I I got to ask the question, did God create the world and fill it with death and with suffering as part of his very good, perfect creation? I mean, is, is that the Jesus that we serve or did God, did Jesus, the, the word, the one that was there at the beginning, did he create the world perfect? I got to ask, and I'll talk about this at the end of this, of this talk, um, what do we get to look forward to? I mean, in the scriptures, when we read of God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and, and, and we get to look forward to this new heaven and this new earth, and the, the lion shall dwell with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child is going to lead them along. And it seems like it's describing a perfect world without sin, without death, without disease. So if God's going to make it in the future the way it used to be in the past, What's it going to look like if we have an old earth Jesus, if we have an old earth worldview? We're looking forward to more sin and more death and more suffering in the future. 
So I think the credibility of Jesus Christ is at stake because I got to ask and I take him at his word. Is, does death equal perfection and a perfect creation or does no death equal perfection and a perfect creation? And I know the arguments and we'll get into these, you know, what about did plants die and things like that? But I just, I need you to know that. And, 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 and this isn't just me putting words in their mouth, okay? This, this is really what somebody who believes in an old earth will say. For example, I, my friend Frank Turk, um, I don't know him personally very well. We've never sat down over coffee, just met a few times. But I love what Frank does. Man, he does in apologetics in an incredible way, but he, he gets this one issue wrong. Uh, somebody asked him uh, in a Q&A, they said, how come there seems to be, um, prior to God creating humanity, how come there seems to be eons of time with, with death and predation and suffering? And, and, and he responded, Here, here's the clip of, of what he said. There could have been death long before yeah. Adam, and if the old earth view is true, there was death long before Adam. And I get the argument. He goes on to say, hey, listen, the... Um, you know, the death wasn't human death, and Romans 5 is only talking about human death. It's not talking about animal death, and, and we'll get into that. But, but bottom line is you have a God that created a world filled with death and with suffering. And that just doesn't seem to fit the God of the Bible that we read about. We'll talk about that, okay? So here's what I'm not questioning because I got a lot of friends that are old earth. I, I love, I mean, Greg Kokel, I think I've been on television with him before. His book, Tactics, is a great book on helping you learn how do I approach the unbeliever? What are some questions that I can ask? And he gives that analogy of putting a pebble in their shoe. Just ask a couple of questions. How did you come to that conclusion? Um, Sean McDowell, man, he's doing great stuff for Gen Z, teaching them to, to love God and trust Jesus Christ as their savior. I love it. Um, I'm not questioning a lot of things about them. I'm not questioning their sincerity. I'm not questioning their intellect. I mean, some of these guys are way brighter than I am. Uh, 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 theologians and guys that have written textbooks that are used around the world to teach uh, in seminary about the Bible that hold an older worldview. I'm not questioning their morality. I'm not questioning their faithfulness. I'm not questioning their respect. Uh, or their reverence for Scripture. I, I do believe when they say we hold a, a high respect, a high reverence for Scripture. But, but I am questioning their consistency, their interpretation, their logic, and their science when it comes to adding time, adding an old earth idea to the Scripture, okay? Um, I, I hear people all the time say, well, listen, um, or no, this is something that I tweet out all the time when, when people talk about the age of the earth. And I'm like, listen, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's not a salvation issue. Okay. Can you be saved? Can you trust in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ? Like 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 says, can you trust in that without believing in a young earth? Of course you can. Now, I think your view of Jesus, as we said a minute ago, is wrong. But of course you can trust that. Here's the way I say it. The age of the earth is not essential to salvation. But the age of the earth is essential to the doctrine that gives us salvation. Because you have to ask, why did Jesus Christ die the death of the cross? What was the reason? Well, that was to pay the penalty of, yeah, of sin, which brought about death. If death was part of God's original creation, why is he trying to redeem us 
from the curse of sin, which is death. I mean, people that say, listen, listen, because this is so divisive and probably 90% of churches in America today, 90% of pastors won't even bring this subject up. They don't want to address this subject. And pastor, this is vital. It's, it's important that we, that we give information to the congregation. I mean, don't treat them as little children that can't handle the meat of the word of God. Let's talk about these things. But, but they'll say, hey, you know what? Don't focus on Genesis. You should just focus on Jesus. Don't focus on Genesis. I mean, come on, man. Let's, let's deal with the love that Jesus brought us. Why focus on a topic that's divisive? And again, it's because the credibility of Jesus is at stake. And if I said, got it, okay, deal. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's start teaching what Jesus taught. Guess what you're going to start doing? You're going to start focusing on Genesis. Because Jesus referred back to Genesis many, many times in his own words, like the red letters in the Bible, the ones that are in red right there. He talks about Genesis and he treats it like it's real history. I did a, a whole session on this. What did Jesus think about Genesis in a new small group series? Matter of fact, I want to give this to you, uh, this teaching, what did Genesis uh, or what did Jesus believe on Genesis? So if you get a chance, write it down or we'll throw it in the chat. Go to um, uh, creationtoday.org slash Jesus on Genesis. Just all one, creationtoday.org slash Jesus on Genesis. And we'll give that session to you absolutely free. I think it's important to look at the teachings of Christ and go, what did Christ believe about the creation of the heaven and the earth? What did he believe about Adam and Eve? How did he set up his doctrine and his teaching on the foundation of the scriptures as literally true? Because if this Genesis 1 through 11 is just a, a poem, if it's, if it's just an allegory, if it's myth, as some people claim in order to add time to the Bible, well, then Jesus is basing his doctrines on something poetic that's not even true, some, some myth, some fable, some allegory. Jesus doesn't base his doctrine on allegories. He gives parables to teach his doctrine, but his doctrine is always based on true history. This series lost that I did uh, is, is we're getting people saying, listen, I never saw this so clearly. We got a session just on the purpose of life. We got a session just on, on, on faith versus um, uh, like trust. What is faith? Because the world today has hijacked the world faith, the word faith, and made it sound like, well, Eric, you know, faith is just blind belief. That is not the faith that God has called us to. He, faith is the noun, just so you know, trust is the verb. God has called us to trust him, but not blindly. It's not a leap in the dark. It's based on incredible information, sound reasoning, lots of evidence. So you really can have faith in the true living God of the Bible. Anyway, that series lost is great. Go to creationtoday.org slash Jesus on Genesis if you want to grab that free session and just watch that on your own. Um, now, the old earth view, let me just kind of back up and go, here's what the old earth view believes. When you add the time that modern science says that we have, the universe they would say is 13.8 billion years old, uh, the earth formed about 4.6 4 billion years ago. So when you add time to the Bible, 
I just need you to realize what you're doing. Creation of man would have been somewhere around 10,000 to 2 million years ago. When you have an old earth worldview, you, you end up putting Adam and Eve, some people put it as figurative, that they evolved you know, from ape-like ancestors. And somewhere along the way, the Bible comes along and starts talking about two of these ape-like ancestors that somehow got married and gave rise to all humanity, and that was Adam and Eve. Um, but you're putting that somewhere between 10,000 and 2 million years ago. Well, here's what you're really doing when you add time to the Bible. You're really adding billions of years, and you're still saying that sin came into the world with Adam and Eve after the creation of man. And whether that was an evolutionary process or God supernaturally did it, bottom line is the creation of man happened uh, just uh, recently compared to the age of the earth. <clears throat> and this is what I say cannot happen. You cannot allow this doctrine into the scriptures because it ruins so many other things. Romans 5 does say, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Now, Frank Turek, Hugh Ross, they would say, listen, that's only talking about human death, but you can go to other passages of the Bible. Uh, verse 14, same thing there. Death reigned from Adam to Moses started with Adam. That's where we get the beginning of death. But outside of Romans 5, which is obviously talking about humanity, even outside of that, we realize in multiple scriptures that death is a curse on this world. It's not the way God originally created it. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. It's not what God originally brought into his creation. Romans 8, another passage. We know the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. That's part of the curse. That's part of the curse of sin that brought on death. Remember, God cursed the ground. So if God cursed the ground after Adam and Eve sinned, how can there be billions of years of of death, struggle, thorns, thistles, cancers, all coming about before Adam and Eve actually sinned. 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. So listen, I get it. We're always trying to harmonize God's word and God's world. And that's what the Creation Today show is all about. How do we bring harmony? How do we see the truth about God's word and God's world and how they come together. Now, when you do this, you need to understand there still has to be an ultimate authority. One of these has to take precedence over the other. Is it God's world speaking to us, telling us what we should know about God's word? Or is it God's word telling us what we should know about God's world? Now, there have been times throughout history where things in God's world and nature have helped us understand God's word even better. You know, the Bible talks about paths in the sea. Somebody read that and they went out to God's world and said, you know what? God's word says there's paths in the sea. I'm going to go discover these. And they made discoveries based on God's word. They learned more about God's world. There have also been times where nature, God's world, has shown us more clearly what God is talking about here. I mean, some of the things we're discovering now about the complexity of animals and just in the last couple hundred years, the, the, the cell and how complex it is. And we truly are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the more we learn about God's word, or the God's world, the more we go, wow, God's word is even more right than we thought. We are incredibly fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's my concern. 
I'm concerned when people put God's word under the authority of God's world. I believe just about, you know what? I'll take the just about off. Every old earth view out there puts God's world over God's word. Now, they won't say that. They'll say they're either on equal ground or they'll say God's word is the authority. But when push comes to shove, you start to see through what they're saying and say, listen, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm using discernment and I'm realizing you don't really believe what you're saying. Uh, my friend Hugh Ross, love Hugh. I think he teaches some stuff that are terribly wrong, but I love him, okay? Um, Hugh Ross and I did a conversation on the Bible Dingers program a couple months ago. And in this conversation, we're talking about old earth versus young earth, and we're bringing up different points. And and I said in this conversation, I said, you know, I, Hugh, I think that your own testimony is what kind of um, kind of lays out for you the problem that contradicts. You know, he he says I studied the billions of years, and then I came to the got saved and came to the Bible, and I spent nine years studying the Bible, all while believing and and keeping the science that the supposed science. Well, it was science, but the the modern thinking of science, the information that he learned, that astronomy and the, the, the starlight, the, the universe is billions of years old. He studied the Bible for nine years before ever hearing of young earth creation. He brought those views and put them into his interpretation of scripture. And that's how that interpretation came about. And that's his own testimony. He gives it all over the place. You can find it all over online. Well, in this conversation, I, I wanted to get down to the foundation and show Hugh, you're not interpreting nature with scripture. You're interpreting scripture with nature. So I asked him the question. I said, listen, if all scientists tomorrow change their mind and said, you know what? The scientific evidence is clear. The earth is young. I said, would you change your mind about how you interpret the scripture? Because that tells us everything. That determines which one is the authority. Here's what he said. If science tomorrow comes out, all the scientists, everybody, they go, guess what, guys? We were wrong. It's a young earth. And all the scientists agree with that. Would that change your interpretation of scripture? It definitely would. It definitely would. 100%. That's the problem. That's exactly that. And that's what we were saying at the beginning. Because you are saying, if the scientists say this, I'm, I'm, here's about the book of nature. It's billion, 14 point, uh, 13.79 billion years old, plus or minus 0.04 for the universe, and 4.5662 billion years old for the age of the earth, plus or minus 0.001. And if they change, that will change your interpretation of Scripture. That is my point. That's the problem. Like I said, you can watch the uh, the entire show. Um, uh, it's on the Bible Dingers on YouTube. If you search Bible Dingers, Hugh Ross, Eric Hovind, that'll come up. Um, I felt like that was a really good conversation. I'm looking forward to the next one. We said we'd have another one. So I want to dig into this stuff even deeper. Uh, and we'll get into some of the things that, that Hugh Ross teaches here in just a minute as we think of old earth creation on trial because he's one of the main proponents of old earth. And many other apologists out there have not studied this particular subject in depth. And they're just going, hey, he's the expert. I'm just going with what the expert says. And so... I, I get what they're saying, but I'm just going, guys, 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 please, I'm telling you, the credibility of our Lord and Savior is at stake. 
He did not create the world filled with death and suffering. That's part of the sin. That's part of the curse. He's not going to create a new heavens and a new earth filled with death and suffering. He's going to create it perfect the way it was in the Garden of Eden. Now, if you're here and you go, listen, I, I don't believe anything in what you're saying. I get it. There's a percentage of you out there that would say, I accept science. I reject the Bible. Matter of fact, in, in polls done uh, through Barna among, um, among what's going on in Gen Z, they're realizing in Gen Z, uh, a good percentage, around 24% of the young people are going, I take science over the Bible. Uh, with the millennials, it was 26%. As you go up in age, they, they are less, uh, um, <laughs> the wiser they get, the less they trust the science, the more they trust the Bible. But about, uh, about 29% say, hey, they're just, they're different areas. They're, you know, science is dealing with the natural world. Uh, the Bible's dealing with the religious world or with the spirituality. Um, uh, average of 33.5%, the majority, um, it, when, you, when you graph these out, the majority of people say, there is no conflict between science and scripture. You can have both of them. I'm there. I'm going, there's not a conflict between science and scripture. They go together. And then uh, there's some people that would say, uh, 16% on average say, I'll take the Bible over what science says. And I'm not sure how, how hard they drilled down on, well, what does that mean? You know, Because there are people that would say, you know what the Bible talks about, the four corners of the earth? That means the earth is flat and I'm taking Bible over science. Okay, that's, that's, that's not reading the text the right way. That's actually the same thing the, the theistic evolutionist or the old earth creationist is doing. They're, they're reading a portion of text in the wrong format. So some people are reading things that are poetic or, or um, allegorical, and they're, they're going, hey, that, uh, that is a literal reading. And then you have old earthers going, the literal stuff, we'll talk about it, the literal stuff should be taken allegorical. Both of them are kind of messing up just on different ends of the spectrum, kind of flipping it over. And, and, and one group is going, what's allegory should be literal. Another group is going, what's literal should be allegorical. They're both messing it up. You, you got to get into the context of it. Anyway, if you're here and you're an atheist or you're somebody who doesn't agree with me um, and, and, and you're kind of, look, I'm atheist, I'm evolution. I just want you to know, man, I love having conversations with you. I'm going to be having a conversation tomorrow with a friend of mine who is an atheist who says, look, I don't believe in God. Matter of fact, he was raised as a Christian. So we're going to have a conversation. I'm going to have a conversation with him tomorrow. But um, I just, I want you to know, I, I, I think, I believe that we can have good, intelligent, honest conversations about these subjects, and they really can lead us to the truth. Let me tell you what typically happens, okay? with the 13% um, of you out there. There's 13% of you out there, uh, all the way over in that Gen Z, and 7% uh, in the millennials that, uh, and some of you in the Gen X and the boomers and the elders. But uh, there's a portion of you that love to jump on, on my YouTube channel, and you don't present any arguments. You don't present any science. You're not adding anything intellectual to the conversation. And all you do is say things like, Everything that guy said is wrong. I'm like, well, then it, he's, we talked for an hour with some of my guests. I'm like, should be pretty easy for you to point out some of the actual things that were said that are wrong. They don't do that. That guy's an idiot. I'm like, well, that's not an intelligent conversation. That's not an argument. Let's stop lowering the bar behind our keyboards and stop using things that when you think about it logically, you realize 
you know, they, they could probably say the same thing about me and it would not be an argument. So why should I be using this as an argument? I've enjoyed uh, watching tons of videos from, from atheists, from theistic evolutionists, from uh, progressive creationists, from uh, lots and lots and lots of different videos on, uh, on what people think about the age of the earth. I've, I've read many, many books on, okay, what are people actually saying about the age of the earth? I mean, I've, I've been part of and I've, I've seen lots of the debates out there. Uh, Albert Moeller and, and Ken Ham and um, different people. Uh, uh, um, Jason Lyle, great job with Hugh Ross on debating, okay, what does the scripture say and what does the science say? And that's really kind of what it comes down to, isn't it? We're, we're looking at scripture and we're looking at science and we're asking these questions, okay, what does this really say? What does the science really say? What does the scripture really actually teach? And, and the question is, how do we interpret it? Now, I need you to keep in, in, in mind something. Um, uh, science can't say anything. Science doesn't have the ability to speak. The Bible, the Bible can't say anything. It can state things. But in the Bible, we're reading propositional statements. All we can do is decide, are those true or false? When Jesus says the creation of Adam was the beginning, was that true or was it false? That's what we get to determine. With science, we have to interpret. We're looking at the natural world, and we're trying to figure out how we understand the natural world. Now, here's the history of older, just so you kind of know where it came from, okay? Back in 1795, a guy named James Hutton wrote a book called Theory of the Earth. And in this book, Theory of the Earth, he made the claim, you know what, I think the earth is a lot older than people historically have thought it was. Now, there were people, uh, some of the Greeks, um, that that had an idea of an old earth in the, in the ancient past. And so there's been these, these old earth ideas, but never really codified and said, we're, this is science. Yes, we're going to believe it. James Hutton comes along, 1795, writes Theory of the Earth, and this is where the idea that became popular that, you know, maybe they're this old. Before that time, most people kind of had a basic, you know, uh, biblical understanding. I'll show you the, the genealogies of where we get, where do you get 6,000? I'm, you know, I'm wondering, where do you get the age of the earth? Here's where they get it. Where do you get 6,000? It's actually found in the genealogies, Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 10. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, he writes this book and it becomes popular because this is flying in the face of what people had historically believed about the age of the earth. And, and he's going, maybe the earth is not thousands of years old. Maybe it's much older than that. One guy who read that and loved it because, well, let's just face it, the more you learn about his life, Sir Charles Lyell, um, he, he hated the Bible. He hated scripture. Uh, in his book, he wrote the book, Principles of Geology. And in his book, he basically makes fun of the Bible. I mean, he's just trying to rip the Bible to shred. He's like, we got to save science from Moses. And, and, and you got to understand something. Um, historically, I don't know that the church did the greatest job of encouraging science. Now, there's a lot of wrong things out there. You know, we think that, oh, they tried Galileo because, you know, of this. Well, that's not all that's into that. You can go to Answers in Genesis and look up a, an article on Galileo, the truth of what the Catholic Church did to Galileo and why they did it. And you go, oh, the church wasn't as dumb back then. They weren't. We paint them as, oh, you're the idiot. Galileo was right. Totally something else going on back in that time. But anyway, so in this time, though, uh, some people were going, we need to get science out of the church, out of religion, 
and, and let it do whatever it wants. So Hutton comes along, Lyell really liked this idea. Lyell's the one who invented the geologic column that we have today. This is, this is where we uh, um, get this idea that each layer of the earth was actually formed slowly, you know, just as the layers built up real slowly, about an inch every thousand years is what they've come up with uh, to get all the layering for the earth's surface uh, that we have today. So he introduced uniformitarianism. As that became popular, Darwin read this book and on his voyage on the HMS Beagle, after reading the Bible and reading uh, Hutton, he went, you know what? I'm wondering if maybe the old earth is true and maybe there really wasn't a flood because if you have a worldwide flood, like when, when, you, when you read the Bible, you see very clearly Genesis 7, 8, 9, there was a worldwide flood. That makes sense of all the layers to the earth that you have today, the geologic column. If you get rid of the flood forming that column, well, now you've got no flood. Well, if you've got no real creation, if the earth is old and God didn't create the world about 6,000 years ago, and you got no flood, well, Darwin comes along and says, well, evolution, maybe there's, maybe there's no God. Maybe, maybe God didn't need to create the different kinds of life forms. Maybe they evolved over these eons of time. And that's why we see them buried in the rock layers and a whole new idea comes about. Evolution, guys, is the product, it's the result of the millions of years. Evolution, evolution didn't give us the millions of years. Millions of years is what gave us the idea of evolution. And since age of the earth is what started it all back in 1795, ever since then, the early 1800s, ever since then is when the church has gone, oh, if science believes in old earth, aha, we need to add that to the Bible so the Bible isn't left behind by science. And that, my friend, was the tragic, tragic mistake. So, now, by the way, old earth now says that it's 13.8 billion years ago, like Hugh Ross says, 13.76 um, billion plus or minus 0.4. Um, do you know the old, old earth views didn't think anything like that? The old, old earth views had like 100 million. And, and now they're saying 13.8 billion. And of course, we hear them say, oh, it's just science getting more and more accurate. Well, I just want you to realize that what they're trying to do, the reason they kept adding time to science was to try to fit eventually the geologic column and then evolution. How long would it take to turn from a bacteria into a human? How much time do you need to get that process to happen? And that's how they've come up with the amount of time they've used. They did not use carbon dating or radiometric dating. That wasn't even invented. Matter of fact, they believed in an old earth despite the science. Danny Faulkner does a great job. He talks about the history of old earth and, um, and, and in his conversation about the history of old earth, he brings up Lord Kelvin. Lord Kelvin showed scientifically. Now, the science was wrong, but it was the consensus in the scientific community. He showed cons uh, uh, consistently that you could not have a Earth-Sun solar system that is more than 20 to 30 million years old. 20 to 30 million years is the max. You can't go farther than that. Well, now we know that's based on bad science, but that's irrelevant. In the face of that being the consensus, they still held an Earth-Sun-Solar system view that was 100 million years old, five times, three to five times older than what the modern science believes. So they were actually trying to get the Earth to be old in spite of the modern science that was taught. By the way, 
We got the same problem today. People today are trying to get the earth to be old in spite of the science. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll get there. So the old, old earth worldviews are not the same as the new old earth worldviews that people are believing in today. So when they were trying to add time to the Bible, they didn't think back when they first started adding time through the gap theory to age theory, progressive creation, they didn't think they were adding 13.8 billion years to the Bible. If you're just adding a few thousand years, okay. A million years, maybe. And maybe we can fit that in here. But eons and eons of, of endless time, billions and billions of years, it's like saying, okay, maybe there's room, maybe there's room for an inch in here. And people go, fine, if we can fit an inch, we can fit a mile. It's like, ah, guys, it, 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 it scope creeped on them is what happened. So the new old earth world views, 13.8 billion years old is how that happened. So when we look at the history of old earth thinking and how it actually came about, we have to realize what was going on throughout time. Evolution is the product of the millions of years. Millions of years uh, is what brought about evolution. Evolution didn't give us time, didn't give us millions of years. Well, Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 3 and 4, famous passage. Knowing this verse, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. This passage prophesied exactly what you saw right here, the, the history of older that prophesied it. It told us this was going to be coming. Knowing this verse, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. And they're going to say, where, his, where is the promise that is coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the very beginning of the creation. James Hutton brings about this idea. The way things are happening now is the way they've always been happening. Charles Lyell runs with that in Principles of geology. Then it says, for this they willingly are ignorant of. <laughs> My dad would always say, son in the Greek, that means dumb on purpose. They're willingly ignorant, okay? They're willingly ignorant of the original creation, how God originally created the heavens and the earth. They're willingly ignorant of the flood that destroyed the world. And they're going to be willingly ignorant of the coming judgment of God, that God is going to judge this world. Isn't it interesting? That's exactly what came about with old earth ideas. Old earth ideas brought about people that today, I believe the Bible's referring to, they are willingly ignorant of the creation. They got old earth instead of, instead of God creating 6,000 years ago. They got rid of the flood creating the geologic column. Okay, we don't need a flood anymore. And the coming judgment of God, man, if we're not created in God's image, if we evolved, well, if we're not created in God's image, then we're not responsible to God. He can't hold us accountable. They actually got rid of creation the flood and the judgment. The Bible said in 2 Peter chapter 3, that was going to come in the last days. Again, I, I, find this, I find this fascinating. I find this super, super interesting. Okay, here's kind of a, a chart that shows young earth to old earth um, perspectives as you kind of, uh, you got all, all the way at the bottom would be atheistic evolution. Hey, we don't need God there, there's, you know, this is the, the Richard Dawkins. Uh, this is the uh, Lawrence Krauss. Everything came from nothing. Christopher Hitchens. Uh, these are these guys saying, we don't need God. Then as you go up and you go, well, well, we do need a God to get everything started, but then it evolved. That's that theistic evolution. Then you got the, well, it couldn't have evolved. So maybe, you know, God created progressively. And then, well, no, God didn't create progressively. Maybe there was, you know, some kind of some kind of eons of time or a gap or something like that. And that's her day age. And then the gap theory uh, all the way up to young earth creation. What, what distinguishes all the other views 
from young earth biblical creation is time. Time is the one thing that distinguishes all of those. It's a clear dividing line. Only young earth creation is saying, Bible got it right. Science right now is getting it wrong. Now, I got to tell you, I, I, <laughs> I feel kind of bad for the theistic evolutionists out there, okay? Because if you truly understand evolution, the whole point of evolution is you don't need God. So the people that believe in atheistic evolution, they're kind of making fun of beating up on the, the theistic evolutionists. And, and if you truly understand God and how he created, you go, there's no way he used the process of evolution. Evolution doesn't even make sense. So the theistic evolution perspective, they're kind of getting beat up on both sides. There's a group called BioLogos. And I mean, in a sense, I feel bad for them, but I'm like, look, just change your perspectives. Pick a side, man, because you're trying to hold this middle ground that does not work. The theistic evolution position, there are quotes from atheists saying, look, we know that's not possible. I mean, they've done studies. This is a study two years ago. Accepting evolution means you can't believe in God. And most people that believe in evolution are going, if you believe evolution, why would you believe in God? Forget that. That's You don't need that. And then if you believe in creation, you're going, you don't need evolution. So theistic evolution is kind of an oxymoron, if you know what that means. So I think we can cross that one off the list pretty easy. It's got to be one or the other. Another problem comes up that, that if we were to deal with atheistic evolution, now you got a lot of problems. You have to get life from non-life. You have to get order from disorder, from chaos. You have to get the material world from an immaterial world, something from nothing. You, you have to get nature to select things and nature can't select. There's no such thing as natural selection. It can't create something brand new. It can't, it can't take uh, the genes of an amoeba and turn those into the genes of a dog, the, the DNA. It can't evolve. We, we don't see this. It's not part of science. There's no beneficial mutations happening. You, you can't get intelligence from non-intelligence. So I just say, you know what? We can talk about this more. We talk about it on other shows. You can cross atheistic evolution off the list as well, okay? Now, like I said, what you believe does matter. And as you start to cross these beliefs in a Jesus that doesn't fit the Bible off the list, you start realizing, wow, God's word really did get it right. Now, like I said, science is what do we see? The Bible is what does it state? We have to deal with, with what's, what's being stated in science. We're asking, what do we actually see? So, so now it's a matter of how do we view science? And how do we view and how do we interpret scripture? Okay, so when it comes to science, uh, there we could spend time right now and go to a whole bunch of evidence that proves or shows when you interpret it this way, it shows a young earth. We could talk about the, the salt in the oceans, how there's not enough salt for the oceans to be billions of years old. There's, there's uh, the comets that come through our solar system. Danny Faulkner talks about this. There are short period comets. I mean, we're talking 100,000 years max for comets existing in our solar system. Some maybe up to, let's, let's give them like the, the extreme, 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 maybe up to a million years. But we still have comets in our solar system. And invoking the Oort cloud does not help because nobody's ever seen it. We don't know that it, it's, it's, it's literally making up an argument from nothing to say, well, maybe there's something out there that explains it. That's not science. You know, science is things that we can see, test, and demonstrate. We could talk about erosion rates, how the continents would erode flat in 10 million years or 14 million years. We got rocks that are older than that above sea level. Anyway, we could go lots of evidences of a young earth. We could show the problems with an old earth and say, listen, the old earth has lots and lots of problems. You got the geologic column. You're interpreting that wrong. There's no erosion marks in between those layers. 
<clears throat> those layers were laid down at the same time. There's layers that are bent. I did a whole series or a whole um, webinar with uh, Dr. Andrew Schnelling called uh, Rocks Don't Bend. Right after my trip down the Grand Canyon with him last year, you can pull that up at creationtoday.org. And we're showing a mile of strata at the Grand Canyon in four different places. That mile of strata is bent at a 90 degree angle. Could not have happened if it, if it was solid rock. Anyway, we could go into lots and lots of issues showing the old earth view does not actually make sense either. So we can go into the science of it, okay? And when we do this, and we do this on other programs, that kind of gets rid of where the history of the age of the earth came from. When you get rid of the geologic columns supporting old earth and you go, no, fossilization doesn't happen under normal conditions. Things have to get buried rapidly. We have trillions of fossils around the world that seem like they were buried rapidly. Seems like there was a worldwide flood. So you can get rid of old earth actually pretty easy just looking at the science. I, I do a whole thing on the global flood. Again, go to creationtoday.org and you can watch this conversation or this presentation I do on was it a literal global flood? What is the science actually showing us? What, what can we see in the science? What can we see in the world? So we can go into evidence of the old earth. We can go into evidence of the um, uh, or how it's not old problems with that. We can go into the 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 um, young earth and a lot of these actually overlap because when you accept when you realize there really was a global flood in genesis chapter six seven eight and that really happened that makes sense of so much stuff now the ice age makes sense now the layering makes sense uh, and a lot of those evidences for young earth are actually the same old the, the global flood destroys every single old earth belief out there so that kind of takes out the no flood idea that um that uh, J uh, charles lyell introduced there really was a worldwide flood that really did happen. And that's what makes sense of the science that we see today. But, but let's deal with these views inside of scripture that still try to add time to the Bible, okay? So rather than just looking at science and what do we see and how do we interpret it, uh, we gotta ask the question, how do we see the Bible? And by the way, I love uh, Dan Letha. I'm gonna be doing a show with him recently or in, in the near future. I call him God's creation cartoonist because he does such a great job of illustrating things in a cartoon form and uh, like this one you know you're a biblical creationist you're so biased when you look at the evidence and it's like well wait a minute wait a minute everybody has a bias you got to decide you got to decide how you're going to look at it nobody looks at the world with no bias nobody comes to comes to science comes to information with no preconceived ideas whatsoever okay everybody doesn't when you see the world and you're looking at it through the lens of well the earth is billions of years old that's going to make you come to certain conclusions it's going to force certain conclusions when you look at the world that way dan does just, just such a i can't wait to do this show with him like what goes through his mind he's he did this one on intelligent intelligent design listen they've come up with some great arguments uh, but intelligent design is always bottom up. And again, they've come up with some really good arguments. I wish they'd just go ahead and say, guys, you know, why don't we just start with the truth? Uh, we, we really can start there. We thought 20 years ago, as we saw the intelligent design kind of come about, we thought the intelligent design movement would really kind of go put an end. Okay, people that are scientists, they say, I believe in science, I'm just following the science. They're gonna come around and realize, okay, there is a God. Now we just got to tell them which one it is. It didn't work. Bottom line is, those scientists are still holding to atheistic evolution, still holding to no, there's no intelligent designer. It didn't do what we hoped it would do. And I, 
I think that was kind of called out by several people. They went, you know, look, if you don't start with the Bible, you're not starting on the right foundation. You really got to start with God's word. Okay, so um, they're approaching nature. They're approaching God's world kind of like you would a crime scene. And there's a couple different ways to approach a crime scene. Some people will go to the crime scene and they'll look for the footprints and, you know, they're, they're looking for the, uh, the DNA evidence and the blood and the, which direction the bullet shot and all kinds of ways to investigate a crime scene. But when you only do that, when you're investigating a crime scene and just finding clues and the, the hair is here and the position is here, you're, you're working from the ground up trying to figure it out. What God's word gives us, what scripture gives us is the video footage. If, if there was a crime scene at a convenience store and you saw the footprint, and you saw the blood, and you saw the cash drawer open and you, you grabbed the fingerprints, you could try to deduce what happened. But then if somebody comes up to you and says, um, hey, I've, uh, I've got the I got the video footage. You, you want to see the security camera, what actually happened? Yeah, that'd be really helpful. Now, all of a sudden, we know exactly what happened because we saw the video footage. That's exactly what God's word gives us. It gives us the video footage of what actually happened. So we don't have to work from the bottom up. We get to work from the top down. And we get to say, hey, does nature confirm what God's word has already told us, what God's authority uh, has already said, the Bible? Uh, and, and we get to look at God's word that way. So that's really the two different perspectives that we're coming from. In Genesis 1, as we get into scripture, if we're gonna call that our authority, you know, if, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me kind of thing. Uh, when, when you get into Genesis, you realize uh, that God says he made the world in six days. You know, God called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. You know, and God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. Genesis chapter one, verse eight. And then verses 13, 19, 23, and 31, all the third day, the fourth day, evening and morning, the fifth day, evening and morning. It goes on and talks about evening and morning, day, evening and morning, day, evening and morning, day with a number. Then it says, that God rested on the seventh day. He calls it out. This is a definite article. He rested on the seventh day from the work that he had made. You know, even in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. So he says he made it in six days as the model for humanity to work six days and then rest one day. Now, this is interesting. Keep this in mind. The people that were reading Genesis and who Genesis was written for, because I hear like Frank Turk in that clip that I showed, he goes on to say, we have to interpret it based on the people then, what they knew and what they understood. Okay, fine. Keep this in mind. The people that were hearing Genesis got Exodus first. They first got the Ten Commandments before they got the history of how God made the world, before they got Genesis, they would have been familiar with Exodus from Moses. So the first thing they got was actually Exodus, the Ten Commandments, part of the Ten Commandments saying, hey, just so you know, I made the world in six days. I did this as a model for you to follow. Work six, rest one. Okay. By the way, hey, how did I make the world? Let me tell you about it. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. They got that in light of Exodus chapter 20 and uh, uh, verse 11 and verse uh, 31, 17. They understood this. Four in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that in them is. Uh, and he did that on the seventh day. When he says all that in them is, that includes everything. He says he did it all. So again, we have to ask, what does it state? What does scripture state? It states that he made it in six days. There's, there's really no way to get around that without adding to 
scripture or adding to what God's word says. Mark 10, 6 is where Jesus says, don't you know, have you not read, he which made them at the beginning of creation made them male and female. So God is saying, look, this is, this is the foundation for marriage. Marriage is based on the truth of Genesis 1, 1, and, or of Genesis chapter 1, and God creating male and female chapter 2, and explaining how he did that. Um, and now, this is, this is the problem. Again, I just want to point out the main issue that I see. How do you view Jesus? How do you view what he said? Did death come as a result of sin that happened in the Garden of Eden? Because the Bible, the biblical Jesus, would put that right back at the beginning of creation. And, and we could go, that, that um, Jesus on Genesis link, creationtoday.org slash Jesus on Genesis. Got a whole presentation there for you on what Jesus thought about Genesis. He, he taught the young earth worldview in his doctrine. In what he claimed. He said Adam and Eve were the beginning. He, when Cain killed Abel, he said that was at the foundation of the world. Well, if you believe in an older earth, if you add older to the Bible, you're not getting Abel as from the foundation of the cosmos, foundation of the world. You're not getting Adam and Eve from the beginning of the creation. These aren't happening. And there's a lot of different arguments people use to try to say, here's how you can add time to the Bible. You know, the day, the word day can have different meanings. That's true. It can have different meanings, but context actually matters. Um, they can say, well, Genesis shouldn't be taken as real history. It should be taken as poetry. Well, you got to give evidence for that. That's not what the evidence suggests. When you read it, it's not poetical. It's very different. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, hey, we just shouldn't let the age of the earth divide us. Don't let it come together. You know, we should just, we should really be against evolution. Why don't we be for Jesus and for what Jesus taught? Why can't we just agree to be on that? Because if you teach what Jesus taught, you're going to teach Genesis and you're going to teach that the creation of Adam and Eve was the very beginning. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of good Christians out there, a lot of good theologians and their scientists. They believe in an old earth. Now, that's, that's not my question. That's not what we're trying to wrestle with. We're trying to wrestle with the truth. Which one of these is actually true? Which one can we substantiate? Which one is consistent? Which one brings God's word and God's world together and keeps God's word as the authority? Okay. A <sighs> couple of arguments. Number one, the, the Bible does not have uh, science fiction as one of its genres of literature. The Bible does not have a myth as one of the genres of its, of its literature. It has poetry, true. It has allegory, true. Books of wisdom, true. Prophecy, true. Apocalyptic, true. It has different genres. You'll never find science fiction. You'll never find myth. And some people, in order to get age of the earth into the Bible, they say Genesis 1 through 11 is a myth. They copied it from the Babylonians or they copied it from, from some other you know, myth legend. Maybe the Assyrians, this particular myth. No, no, no. What you got to realize is those are perversions of the truth. The Bible has it right. That's what's really going on. And, and context, context is king. Answer this, okay? What is that in the middle? How, how would you like, just type it in the chat for me. What do you see there? What, what, spell it out in the chat for me. What do you see? I know what you're chatting on there because people do it all the time. You know, that's ABC. Oh, well, hang on. Context matters, doesn't it? Now, what do you see there? Now you see 12, 13, 14. 
<laughs> context determined what you were looking at and what that actually was, that what that symbol actually meant. I love Gary Larson of Farsight. Oh my goodness, the guy's hilarious. Um, um, context matters, okay? The, this guy's walking into a diner and it says, today's special, shepherd pie. <laughs> Laying on the ground is a shepherd's staff and the sheep are all bellied up at the bar. Shepherd's pie. Context matters. And when we look at the word day in Genesis, context matters. It's the word yom. And it can have several different meanings, okay? It really can. It's the word day, yom, can have a couple different meanings. Um, it can mean morning, uh, or here's, here's when it's defined with these uh, parameters. I just want you to know it always means a 24-hour day when it's, when it's used with any of these parameters. Definition number one, when it's used with morning or evening, it always means a normal 24-hour day, always. Uh, when it comes with... Um, uh, morning with the word evening. So one is, uh, I'm sorry, one is morning or evening, either one. It's always talking about a 24 hour day when they're both used together, morning and evening. It's talking about a 24 hour day. Uh, yom with a number, the first day, second day, third day, yom with a number, always talking about a 24 hour day. And then yom with the word night is always defined as a 24 hour day. Now in Genesis, um, the, the very first time the word day is used, it says God made, uh, light to rule over the day. And that word day, yom is referring to the light portion of the day. So it's it's not used in any one of these forms. It's used with the word light and it indicates it's only talking about that portion, that half of the 24 hour day. But anytime it's used with these parameters, it's always meaning a 24 hour day. Um, the word yom occurs 2,291 times just in the Old Testament. 2,282 times outside of Genesis chapter 1. Every single time it follows these exact same rules. Why would we have special rules that change when we refer to Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Why aren't we sticking with consistent Hebrew um, uh, hermeneutics interpretation? Here's the times that they're used. Definition number one is used 19 times. Number two is 38 times. Number three is 359 times. Number four is 53 times. So it's used with each of these rules, but it, if it's with these rules, it always means a 24-hour day. Exodus chapter 14 uh, and 15 is a great contrast showing us what does it look like to see literal versus poetic. It's actually contrasted in two chapters right next to each other. Here's Exodus chapter 14. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left hand uh, and the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea even all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. So he tells us the story of what happened. The next chapter They've written a song, a poem about what God did. Here's the account of what God did. Here's the song that they sing about it. They said, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed the, the, in pieces the enemy. So if we were to take the poetic version literally, well, what is Exodus 15 saying literally? 
Literally, Exodus 15 is telling us that the Lord is a man that does have nostrils. It's telling us that, that Pharaoh's army was cast into the sea and drowned. Not only that, they were dashed into pieces. Not only that, they were consumed like stubble. That's kind of hard because that's talking about a fire. And then they were swallowed by the earth. All of those literally. Guys, you, you, don't, you take poetry as poetry. You take uh, um, history and, 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 and uh, text that's, that's real history as history, as literal. I, by the way, Tim Chapey uh, has an entire video on YouTube uh, on this. And his book is actually called Old Earth Creation on Trial. He does a great job, him and Jason Lyle, on this book, Old Earth Creation on Trial, by the way. We got that book as an ebook. You can download it. It's on our website. It goes through all these arguments. Um, Jesus, again, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He is speaking literally, not figuratively. This is not poetic when he says this. And, and Hebrew does have poetry, but you can tell because there's synonymous parallelism. And that's like when, when he says two things back to back and they're, they're similar to each other, synonyms. The heavens tell of the glory of God. And their expanse declares the work of his hands. Here you have, it's similar what they're saying, the heavens and the expanse, talking about the same thing. And then there's antithetical parallelism where it's contrasting two things. A wise son gladdens his father. A foolish son grieves his mother, giving two that are, man, good son, man, you're happy as a dad, bad son, you're sad as a mom. Two antitheticals, that's where we get poet, uh, poetry and what Hebrew poetry actually looks like. Here's what Jason Lyle said in his book, Understanding Genesis, which by the way, you got to go get fantastic showing you how do you do the hermeneutics there consistently. Here's what he says. We notice that there are virtually no indications of poetic literature in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 fits all the qualifiers of a literal historic narrative. And he goes, look, Genesis 1 fits literal historical narrative. And it fits because a lot of times in, in Hebrew literature, they'll give you a phrase that says, here's what happened. And then they explain it a little bit more detail. Here's what happened, when what happened, happened. And then they, they focus on one more point and go, now, let me tell you about this. Here's what happened when what happened happened of what happened. And they go down even deeper. So here you have Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's dig in a little bit deeper. Oh, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face, face of the deep. Uh, the, the, the Spirit of God moved, hovered over the face of the water. So God originally created it, but it wasn't, wasn't done yet. It was without form and void. Talk about that in a second. And then it goes on throughout Genesis 1 telling us about the six days that God used. And yes, you can have a day without the sun. Day one, God makes light and the earth. Those are there on day one. All you need is a rotating earth for a day. That's all you have to have. You don't have to have a sun. You don't have to have a source for the light. All you have to have is light. And yes, God did make light on day number one. And you got the earth spinning on day number one. That is the definition of a day is a rotation of the earth. Don't need the sun for that. You can have days without the sun. So when you realize that you really can't have time according to science uh, or according to scripture, you can't add it to the Bible, you really cross off all these other Jesuses and you're left with the biblical Jesus. Not only that, in scripture, let's keep going to the Bible. What does it state? What does it actually state? It states that Adam had a son and called his name Seth, and Seth had a son and called his name Enos, and Enos had a son and called his name uh, 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 Canaan. You can actually add up the dates given to us in the Bible, and people have done this. Look at this. Adam lived 130 years and begat a son. Seth lived 105 years and begat a son. And it just keeps going on. These, it gives us a number and then begat, had a, had a child, a number and a begat. Now, some people have argued, listen, here's why you can't use that, because 
Sometimes there's gaps in the genealogies. Sometimes uh, the, the Bible will say this person's son, and actually it was their grandson or their great-grandson. So there's gaps in the genealogies. Or sometimes it'll refer to somebody's father, and it was actually their great-great-great-grandfather wasn't their just simply father. That's not a problem. It doesn't matter. Here's why. And if you, somebody uses this argue on, argument on you, you need to understand, here's what makes that irrelevant. The Bible gives us numbers, dates. Adam was this old. It doesn't matter if Seth was his, his son, grandson, great-great-grandson, great-great-great-great-grandson. That's near now irrelevant because we've got a number. Adam was 130 when Seth was born. Even if there's gaps in there, and you can, you can study that out and find out where there's possible gaps and not, um, many of these don't have gaps. Even if there were, you've got a number with it. When you've got a number there, that takes out any room for the argument where there's gaps in the genealogy. So therefore, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. We've got a number with these things. So when you add up the dates in the Bible, in the Bible, you can actually get all the way to the flood, all the way to Abraham, uh, and you get from Adam to Abraham about 2,000 years. And then from Abraham to Christ, and this is what not even old earthers will question. From Abraham to Christ, you get about 2,000 years. And now from Christ to today, we get about 2,000 years. So this is where the idea of a 6,000-year-old earth comes from. It comes straight from Scripture, straight from the genealogies. Now, when you get into progressive creation or you get into day-age creation, uh, you are not taking the Bible literally where it needs to be taken literally. You are interpreting old earth ideas and using those, uh, older science, and adding that to scripture rather than letting scripture be the authority over, over science. And, and you're taking a kind of new idea that has not been proven right and applying it to a book that has not been proven wrong. It's just not a smart thing to do. Um, Sidlow Baxter, back when this is uh, when um, the uh, gap theory was invented, um, he, he, he kind of spells out, he goes, look, between the first two verses of Genesis, there's ample scope for all the geologic errors. And he's trying to add time to the Bible. He says, that's when a pre-Adamite race of man lived. That's when the judgment of Lucifer took place. You can't have, that's, that's not the Jesus that the Bible talks about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, that, that's a phrase, but there's no gap. There, where do you get the millions of years and put the millions of years in? And by the way, e even if you look just in the Bible, you'll never find millions. You say, oh, well, you know, there's that passage in, in Peter where uh, it says a day is, is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Yeah, that gives you thousand, not million, not billion for sure. You're trying to get 13.8 billion, a hundred thousand thousand. Uh, a, a million times more than the thousand that it gives you. You, you can't get that. It, it's not possible. You can't add that to the Bible. So even if you wanted to say, well, a thousand years, this is a day and a day is a thousand years. Well, you got a problem. That passage is not talking about the creation of the world. That's telling you and I, time doesn't matter to God. He's not locked inside of time. He's not going through time wondering what's going to happen tomorrow. He's already in tomorrow. He's still in yesterday. He's not locked inside of time. That's what that's telling us. So it's not referring to creation. So you're taking that passage out of context. Um, but even if you said, okay, even if I said, you know what? I'll give it to you. Every day of creation was really a thousand years. 
go interpret scripture and interpret science. Okay, now you got what? A max of maybe 12,000 years for the age of the earth. Adam was made about 6,000 years into the creation of the world. That still doesn't get you millions, doesn't get you billions. And it's still not consistent with what Jesus said. God made Adam and Eve at the foundation at the very beginning. That's when God created uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, verse number two, the earth was without form and void. In the Hebrew, that's the, the, the phrase tohu wabohu. Uh, Jeremiah is the, the other place that this phrase is used. And some people look at the Jeremiah phrase and say, that's referring to Genesis chapter one, uh, verse two, the earth was destroyed. And so that's where you can add time and you can add Satan and you can add the fall of Satan and you can add the fall of the angels. The reason I don't buy that is because when you actually examine Jeremiah chapter four, this isn't referring to creation. This is talking about a future event. I beheld the earth, lo, it was without form and void. The heavens, they had no light. And they stop right there and go, see, this is referring to creation. No, go on. And it says, I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled. The hills moved lightly. I beheld and lo, there was no man. And they're like, see, okay, stop, stop. No man. This is referring to creation. Keep going. The birds of heaven were fled. This can't be talking about between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 if the birds weren't made until day number five of creation. Uh, the, the birds and the sea, uh, uh, sea animals, day five of creation. You, this cannot be referring to back into Genesis, between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Plus, God says over and over and over, he rested on the seventh day. Over and over, in the Ten Commandments, two times. Uh, in, in Exodus. Uh, it's found in Genesis chapter 2 on the seventh day, not a seventh day. Uh, and Hebrews is not giving us uh, this idea that uh, the seventh day that we're still in it. Uh, Hugh Ross would say, oh, we're still in the seventh day. No, he rested on the seventh day. If I said last Friday, I went on vacation and I'm still on vacation. That doesn't mean it's still Friday. And Hugh Ross goes to Hebrews chapter 4 and says, God rested the seventh day and God is rest. God is still in rest. And it's like, that doesn't mean it's still the seventh day though. You can't take that and apply it back to so many other passages that now we would have to reinterpret based on this old earth idea, okay? Uh, speaking of a certain place of the seventh day, uh, God did rest the seventh day from all his work. Anyway, Thomas Chalmers is the one who invented the gap theory. And again, he invented this theory in order to try to adopt the billions well, at that time, millions of years into the Bible. And over time, people have kept using it. And now they just keep adding more and more and more time. Look, we can cross all the old earth worldviews off the list because science doesn't show an old earth. We can talk more about that later, but certainly you'll never get it from scripture. You're not going to get it from scripture. Here's some things I need you to consider, okay? You need to consider that the plain reading of the text gives us young earth. By the way, the... Uh, so many things I wanted to talk about. Um, plain reading of the text gives us a young earth. Um, in Genesis, it is written as historical narrative. That's what we get. Um, the genealogies in Genesis, even if they skipped uh, generations, they still have a number with them. A definition of the word yom, when used consistently, hermeneutically, we know that word day is 24 hours when it comes to day one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Um, you, you don't need to add to the scripture. And this is how they do it. I, in that conversation, if you go watch the conversation I had with you, Ross, he'll say things like, God told Adam that he needed to cultivate the land and to cultivate the land that would take a long time. Notice that's not what scripture says. That's not what scripture states. 
It says God gave Adam the command to take care of the garden. I can tell my son, son, I'm giving you a command. I need you to clean your room. Well, the command only takes just a second to give. The cleaning of the room may take some time. In Genesis, it doesn't say that Adam cultivated the land. It says God gave Adam the command to tend the garden. And then he would also say things like, oh, well, God had to do surgery on Adam, and it would take a long time to recover from that surgery. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He made Adam out of the dust of the ground. What makes you think that God would say, I'm going to create you supernaturally, but I'm going to make you heal from this surgery, and I'm going to make you take a long time to heal? That doesn't fit with the God. It's not consistent with the God of the Bible. It's not consistent with Genesis. Well, to name all the animals, oh, if you named every single animal kind, like uh, guys that are brilliant, um, uh, J.P. Moreland, um, uh, uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, uh, Wayne Grudem would say in, in Systematic Theology, one of, the, one of the main books out there teaching in seminaries today, well, you know, to name all the animals, you didn't have enough time to do that on one day, so therefore they weren't really 24-hour days, and that's how we know. No, he didn't name all the animals. He only named the animals that God formed right there in front of him. He, he only named certain animals, did not name all the different animals that were in the whole world that God had created. And could he do it? Absolutely. Matter of fact, if you ever go to the Ark Encounter, uh, you can actually see they've got a wall or check out, I did a movie called Night at the Ark Encounter. We talk about this in that movie. Go to creationtoday.org, search Night at the Ark Encounter. And we actually talk about this subject and they've got a chart right there. They've traced all the animals back to the original kind and shown both extinct and animals still alive. There were probably about less than 1400 kinds of land dwelling animals and Adam didn't even have to name all of those. Uh, so yes, he could have done that. We're talking about a perfect mind that God had created. Didn't have all the, the problems that you and I have today. Anyway, people, the only way to get old earth is to add to scripture. Jesus himself based his teachings on Genesis. Uh, the whole reason old earth was added to scripture is because somebody came up with this idea and rather than sticking with scripture as their authority, they abandoned that and said, well, the new science is saying that we got to add it to scripture and science has a long history of being wrong. Science has to be interpreted. Uh, when, when you're when you're looking at distant stars and they say, oh, that's billions of light years away. That's not a time. That's a distance. Danny Faulkner can tell you about that. God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Is it going to include death and suffering like his old heaven and old earth actually did? Was there death before sin? Is that the Jesus that you follow? This this provides a real theological inconsistency because because now why did Jesus die the death of the cross? Listen. The age of the earth is not essential to salvation, but it is essential to the doctrine that gives us salvation. If you believe in a theistic evolution, Jesus, would you stop believing in a God who used billions of years of death and suffering to get what he want and believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Hey, if you believe in the progressive creation, Jesus, would you stop believing in a Jesus that's going to make all things new and it's still going to include lots of death and suffering? Hey, if you believe in the gap theory, Jesus, would you stop believing that, that Jesus um, is, is not going to finally take care of Satan and the demons and, and once and for all throw them in the pit one day? Would you, would you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, the, the one who created everything perfectly? And, and, then, and then after man sinned and brought death into his creation, he said, you know what, I, 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 I'll, even, I'll even fix this. I'll take the worst thing that ever happened and I'll use it for my glory. And it's going to cost me everything. I'm going to have to go become one of the traitors and die the death of the cross 
in order for them to have the penalty paid. And then I'll let them choose. They get to choose, do they want me to pay that penalty or do they want to pay that penalty for themselves? And that, my friends, is the choice that you and I get to face today. Hey, you want more on this? You can go to creationtoday.org slash old earth, creationtoday.org slash old earth. And there's just a couple more videos there that I think would be great for you to see so that you can better understand both science and scripture. Guys, when we put old earth creation on trial, it's, it, it's left wanting. It doesn't really meet the standards that we set for interpreting scripture. And I would say it doesn't even meet the standards that we set for interpreting science. When you put old earth creation on, on trial, it falls flat. Why do so many people believe it? Some of them, that's all they've been taught. Something that young earth creation is an embarrassment. They think that they would watch this whole thing and go, Eric, you are embarrassing Christianity. Um, I mean, to hear William Lane Craig say that young earth creation is an embarrassment on Christianity. And I go, it's not an embarrassment on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the word that became flesh, the Jesus that created the universe to take him at his word. It's actually, it shows a whole lot more faith and trust in who he is. We don't have to look at young earth creation as an embarrassment. We can believe that it's true. Man, so many great resources you can get um, going into the science and into the scripture. I know we've been on for a long time, but I hope this has been, been helpful for you because I really wanted, and, and there's so much more I could have gone into, but hope this is helpful for you to put old earth creation on trial. And you don't have to go beat up an old earth creationist. No, no, you don't have to do that. But you can speak to them in love. And say, here's the reasons why I don't accept. Here's the reasons why I think that it's really hard, really hard for me to accept old earth. It's not theologically consistent. Anyway, I'm going to go back through this. Uh, I want you to have the one true God of the Bible as the one you adore, the one you worship, the one who's going to make all things new, the new heaven and new, new earth. The lion's going to dwell with the lamb. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, a little child's going to lead them I want you to look forward to eternity and I want you to be there. If you don't know how to be saved, go to creationtoday.org slash salvation, creationtoday.org slash, I think it's salvation or creationtoday.org under the learn button, go down how to be saved and know for sure you're going to heaven. Hey, thanks for joining me guys. Next week, uh, we're going to have a great conversation uh, with Jack Hibbs. Uh, again, going into uh, what does it look to live uh, in a Christian world? as a Christian in an unchristian world. Hope you'll join me for that. And for those of you that haven't partnered with us, help us reach the world. There's a lot of people that need this information. Come on over to creationtoday.org and partner with us to reach more people. God bless you today. Hope you guys have enjoyed this. Have a good day.